Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and today I talk to the Pinkster King and the King of Congo, the forgotten history of America's Dutch-owned slaves. The the author of that book, Jeroen de Wolf, he's a professor at the University of California at Berkeley in the Dutch Studies Department there, an associate professor of Dutch Studies and the director of Berkeley's Institute of European Studies. Jeroen was a great guy. He's really passionate about Dutch culture and, and the connections between Dutch culture and the um, enslaved Africans who lived in the Dutch societies in the New World. And if you're from New York or New Jersey, you're going to learn some things today that perhaps you didn't know, that there's a, a strong connection between the uh, African slaves, the uh, enslaved Africans and the Dutch there. And there's a tradition called Pinkster, which is uh, an, an older African tradition that survived for a couple of centuries, but you don't really hear about as much right now. So sit back and listen and enjoy. And the book is The Pinkster King and the King of Congo, The Forgotten History of America's Dutch-Owned Slaves. And you're going to hear about it from its author on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies Channel. Enjoy. I'm your host, James Stansel, and today I have the great pleasure of being with here with your own DeWolf or hey. DeWolf. Or Jerome, as we say in the United States, Joran DeWolf, and he is a professor at the University of California at Berkeley, an associate professor of Dutch studies, and he's also the director of Berkeley's Institute of European Studies. Good morning, Dr. DeWolf. Good morning, James. Thank you so much for having me on your program. It's absolutely my pleasure. And we're going to be talking with Dr. DeWolf today about his book published by the University Press of Mississippi. And it's called The Pinkster King and the King of Congo, The Forgotten History of America's Dutch-Owned Slaved, Slaves. The Pinkster King and the King of Congo, The Forgotten History of America's Dutch-Owned Slave. And the author is Jorun de Wolf. And I just want to tell you, Jorun, I was so excited when I heard back from you that you want to be on the show because this is something that I don't know personally that much about, about, you know, the Dutch connections. We, we think about the Europeans a lot and maybe the French and, you know, and, and some other European groups. But when I saw your book, I was like, I've got to have him on my show. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much, James, for your interest. And uh, maybe one thing I should uh, start with is maybe apologize for my accent because I, I do have a Dutch accent when I speak English. But maybe what some of our listeners do not know is that once upon a time, precisely this accent I'm speaking with mm-hmm. was an accent that many African-Americans in this country have. Wow. Because really? we think that, you know, looking at the numbers, we can say that still by the mid-18th century, about 15% of African-Americans living in the states of New York mm-hmm. and New Jersey mm-hmm. spoke with a Dutch accent or had Dutch even as their native language. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. 
And, you know, myself personally, I'm not from the New York area. I'm from North Carolina, so I'm not as familiar with that area. But that's that's great to know, to think about that many African-Americans, you know, spoke Dutch or, or, or had a Dutch-sounding accent. Wow. Yeah, very right. And it all started in the 17th century. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Dutch uh, on the island of Manhattan founded a colony, a colony which they named New Netherland. Mm-hmm. And the colony had also the first uh, slave community um, in the state of New York. Okay. The colony existed um, until uh, the mid-17th century when um, the English invaded, took over um, uh, what was called then New Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And the English named it and called it New York. But even though the English took over, the original population, the, the Dutch population and, 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 the, and the African-American population, most of these people remained. Okay. So for many decades to come after the English conquest, there was still a Dutch-speaking community living uh, in the former Dutch colony that now had become an English um, colony and what had become New York and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this is what the book is about, right? Okay. It's about... Um, the uh, African-American community living in, in, in the states of New York and New Jersey mm-hmm. and uh, basically the history of that community, right. a history that starts very early, right, in, in, the, in the early 17th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a history that, that not that many Americans know about. Yeah, not, not, not as familiar with that as, you know, some of, the, like I said, some of the other European connections. That yeah. But today, yeah, like we see now with the French connection, etc. Right? People kind of know about that, but very few people know about about this Dutch connection. Despite the fact that some African Americans uh, who were Dutch speaking actually became very famous, um, and perhaps the best known case is that of Sojourner Truth. Right, right. And I, I saw her in your book, an icon for, for the African American community, and and her native language was not English; it was Dutch. <laughs> That's amazing, and I, I'm willing to bet and almost guarantee that very few, few people, <laughs> yeah, know about, yeah, okay. know about that. Uh, uh, g- generally speaking, and again, the book is the Pinkster King and the King of Congo, and we're going to talk about Pinkster a little bit. We talked offline about uh, the connection of you know uh, yeah. of Pinkster as an African American you know tra- tradition. You know, people think about yes. Juneteenth and. You know, more yes. recent tradition, Kwanzaa, but, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to get you to talk with our audience about the Pinkster. Um, but the, yeah. the book is uh, uh, The Pinkster King and the King of Congo, The Forgotten right. History of America's Dutch-Owned Slave. Slaves. I keep right. saying slaves. Slaves. There was more than one, unfortunately. <laughs> slaves. Yes, unfortunately. Jeroen de Wolf from the University of California at Berkeley. And you, of course, are the director of Berkeley's Institute of European Studies and an associate professor of Dutch studies at the University of California at Berkeley. Your book is published by the University Press of Mississippi. And, you know, Jeroen, if you don't mind, before we get Mm -hmm. a lot into the book, you know, I I like for our audiences to know about the researchers and the scholars as well. So maybe Mm -hmm. if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about your history or your background and your interest um, in you know in this topic, what led you to want to uh, conduct this research? Well, um, so I came to America um, in 2007. Okay. Um, so and the reason I came was because the University of California Berkeley mm-hmm. needed a new professor 
for the field of Dutch studies. Ah. Um, UC Berkeley is one of the very few universities actually in, in the United States that has um, uh, a Dutch studies program okay. and even offers a major um, in, in Dutch studies. Okay. So in our program, we study not only the language, but the history, the culture, and the literature, the film. Um, and uh, it's obviously a small program. You know, Dutch studies is not a program that attracts thousands of students. Um, and therefore, we, you know, we, we, we look for strategies to make sure that, that students discover mm-hmm. our program. And one such strategy was um, a specific course that is typically a Berkeley, a Berkeley type course. Um, the name of that course is the American Culture Course. Oh. It was a course that was founded in the 1960s. And the whole idea of the course is that you focus on American history, mm-hmm. but you do not do that in the traditional way, in the sense that um, um, the whole goal is that when you speak about American culture, you also speak about the different communities okay. that shaped American culture. So if you want to offer an American culture course in Berkeley, you have to offer a course that focuses at least on three major ethnic groups. Okay. And that's how I built this course. You know, I, I obviously focus on the Dutch, who um, then in the 17th century built uh, their colony of New Netherlands mm-hmm. uh, with the capital New Amsterdam on Manhattan. Uh, so then I have the European connection, so to speak. Obviously, this colony was built at a time when, when the indigenous population was still very populous, so mm-hmm. they were still lots of Native Americans around. Sure. Uh, so I focus in my course also on, on those population okay. groups, the Native Americans that used to live in and around Manhattan, right? Um, and then uh, I looked at the, um, the black population because um, um, the Dutch colony of New Netherland also had a slave community, um, a black community, and not all of the blacks actually in the Dutch colony were slaves. Okay. Um, and New Amsterdam also had a substantial um, free black community, which is perhaps also something people are not that aware of, and that already in the 17th century, you know, there were people um, of African origin who, you know, had their own farm and, and were free. Right. Uh, but in any case, um, um, the course was built around those three ethnic groups. Okay. And that also encouraged me then to, to look a bit closer at, at the black community, at the slave community that lived um, in New Netherlands. And something that, that your listeners uh, should know is that before I came to America, I actually uh, lived and taught for several years in Portugal and in Brazil. Oh, okay. Um, and I also did quite some research on uh, the Portuguese connection with Africa. Mm-hmm. As you know, there's, there's still many countries in, in, in Africa where Portuguese is, is the official language. Okay. Countries like Angola uh, or perhaps less well-known, the Cape Verde Islands. Mm-hmm. You know. um, so and that's, that's also one of my, one of my interests. Okay. Um, and what I found very, very surprising is when I looked at the names of, of, of the slaves who, who lived in 17th century uh, Manhattan, then I suddenly discovered that they all had Portuguese names. Oh. 
And that I found very fascinating. And then I kind of saw how my two interests, you know, Dutch studies right. and, and Portuguese history kind of came together. So I, I kind of said to myself, this has to become my, my research project. This is also the moment then that I looked for, for a specific angle, okay. kind of tackled this, this question. And, and the angle I chose was, was a festival, an annual celebration um, that would occur um, um, in that part of the United States mm -hmm. and came to be known as Pinkster. It's, it used to be big. Uh, used to be big. We have we have information that that the annual festival, which would take place um, in in, in on, on the days of Pentecost, okay, you know the, the, the religious right. holiday of Pentecost, right? Actually, the Pinkster is is the Dutch translation of of, of the term Pentecost. So Pentecost was was celebrated uh, among the Dutch and also among um, um, the black population that lived in the colony. Mm -hmm. uh, and it gave origin to a big celebration, um, a celebration that um, among the Dutch continued pretty much until the American Revolution. Okay. And then after the American Revolution, you see that, that um, people who were living in America and who were descendants of, of Dutch settlers, mm -hmm. they stopped feeling Dutch. They, they once... America, once the United States becomes an independent country, mm -hmm. they kind of raise this new country, and and they kind of abandon their Dutch heritage mm. pretty much. So this is the moment when when descendants of of white Dutch people stop celebrating this Pinkster feast, which you know used to be big, but then um, they kind of stop uh, celebrating it. But what is very interesting, James, is that um, the black population does not. They, they continue to oh. celebrate the Pinkster Festival for almost a century after the Dutch had, had stopped celebrating it. Mm -hmm. So that's one very intriguing question. Mm -hmm. you know, why, why would they continue a celebration that the Dutch had already abandoned? Mm -hmm. Second question, which is perhaps even more interesting, is when you look at um, data that okay. we have, old documents that mention the Pinkster celebration, you also see that um, the way blacks would would celebrate was actually very different from the way the Dutch would ah. celebrate. And they would do something quite intriguing. Namely, they would use those um, days where they have you know, a lot of, much more liberty than, than usual. Mm -hmm. They would use that, that, that temporary freedom, so to speak, to elect a community leader a person who became the leader of, of the black community. Right. And they would name this person their king. The Pinkster King. And that's where the Pinkster King comes from. Right. So that's, you know, those are two questions that I found very intriguing. You know, yeah. why did they continue the celebration? Why, what, what, what is this king? What is this all about? Wow, wow, yes. That's, I mean, it's very interesting. And, and again, as I mentioned to you, your own, I mm -hmm. had I had no idea, you know, about mm -hmm. uh, this this Pinkster, um, you know, connection here. And you know, and I mentioned this to you a little bit offline before we really got started. And again, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm here with Dr. DeWolf, the Pinkster King, and the King of Congo, the forgotten history of America's Dutch-owned slaves. And he's a professor 
at the University of California at Berkeley, an associate professor of Dutch studies and the director of Berkeley's Institute of European Studies. And, you know, as I was saying before we kind of got online, I was telling you about the cover of your book and, you know, yeah. how, how much it captured my attention. And that kind of goes right in with, you know, what you were just talking about, you know, about the Pinkster mm-hmm. King. You know, for those, mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're listening but you can't see the cover in front of you, uh, there are two men here of African descent. One has a rifle. The other has what I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, a violin or a fiddle of some type. Yeah, very, very true. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it's showing them like in a, in a kind of community. I think it's called mm-hmm. the, yeah, the Sam, Sam the Witch Doctor and Jan mm-hmm. the Fiddler, right? Yes. So, yes. you know, and it's from um, Osborne's Life in the Old Dutch Homesteads. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the photo yeah. credit I just read off the back. Um, if you don't mind, maybe can you tell us a little bit about this photo and why it was chosen or, you know, any background about it for the book? Yeah. Um, the reason I chose this picture, um, James, is that um, the topic, the, the Pinkster King and, and, and King of Congo, is a topic that relates to a little bit of kind of a forgotten uh, community okay. um, in American history. Okay. And that community is, is Dutch-speaking African-American. Right, right. The Sutton, right. right. Yeah, and so it was actually very difficult to find uh, images, illustrations of that community because it's it's almost like a community that that vanished right, in, in right. this. Um, and I was very lucky um, to find this um, this uh, image um, in a small book, uh, a book that very few people know about, mm-hmm. but it's quite interesting because it speaks about um, uh, the history of of uh, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. with um, a specific focus on those areas of New Jersey that had a Dutch history mm-hmm. and where African-Americans that used to speak Dutch um, lived. Um, and what I found very intriguing, of course, was especially the man uh, holding the violin because mm-hmm. the topic of music is a very important topic in my book. Absolutely, yes. Uh, the Pinkster Festival was, was about, as I mentioned, the election of a king, mm-hmm. but that would be accompanied with a lot of dance, with a lot of music, mm-hmm. with, with all kinds of rituals, festivities, right. and so music and dance plays a very important role uh, in my book as well. Wow. And yeah, this is a, a wonderful picture, and it just you know made me think, you know, what, could, what was life like? For the African descendant folk, you know, uh, around that time period. And, you know, I know that there were struggles, but as you mentioned with, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, with the, the, you know, the Pinkster Festival, I mean, there were good times and and happy times as well. And and maybe I can use this observation um, as a connection to essentially what I feel is my main discovery. Sure, absolutely. Go ahead. And discovery is, of course, of what is this king all about. Right. Right. Because I'm not the first one to, to write about the Pinkster King. Mm-hmm. There have been a few scholars before me who, who in articles, uh, wrote about the Pinkster mm-hmm. King. But the, and the traditional uh, interpretation that they gave to this king was that it was kind of like a type of carnival. Okay. You know, because in carnival you, ha- you elect a king, mm-hmm. and it's kind of, you know, a king for a day, mm-hmm. and you kind of reverse the traditional roles, right? So, so, the, so the slave for one day becomes the king, so to speak. Right. right? right. That's kind of like the traditional um, interpretation. And the more I read about um, this Pinkster Festival, James, the more I realized that this 
traditional interpretation was questionable. Okay. So I found information that that took me to to a whole different in, into a whole different direction. Mm-hmm. And because um, you know when 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 you say that this is this is a carnival, this is this is a play. Um, then you would be inclined to think that this king was kind of a form of mockery, right? Like a joke, so to speak. I see what you mean, right. And what I discovered is that in the original sources, you clearly see that African Americans actually had a, a lot of respect for the person whom they elected as, as their king. Mm-hmm. So my conclusion was that this must have been something much more serious. Mm-hmm. That maybe Europeans looked at it as, as a play, you know, as, as kind of a funny thing. And, but for African-Americans, it had a whole different meaning. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Now, what could that meaning have been? Right. right? So now we come to the second element of, of my title. Mm-hmm. The title of the book is The Pinkster King and the King of Congo. Right. Right? So that second angle takes me to the origin of the first slave community in Manhattan. And I mentioned to you already briefly before that and those people had Portuguese names, mm-hmm. right? Now, um, how, how do we explain that? Um, we can explain it by going back to history and seeing that um, already in the early 16th century, so, so a century before the first African slaves arrived in Manhattan, mm-hmm. Portuguese had already established themselves um, along the west coast of Africa, and um, they had a strong they had a strong influence in what was then called the Kingdom of Congo. Okay, right. It was a very powerful kingdom at that time, a very powerful kingdom um, that um, had at one point in history a power struggle between two. Um, um, people who uh, wanted to become the king of Congo. Mm-hmm. One of the two was supported by the Portuguese. And with the aid of the Portuguese, he imposed himself. And in the early 16th century, he became the new king of Congo mm-hmm. in alliance with the Portuguese. Yeah? So you would see at that time the beginning of Portuguese influence in Central Africa in this kingdom of Congo. And very important is that with the Portuguese influence came religion. Mm. The religion of the Portuguese, the, mm. the, the missionary workers came. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you see in Congo is actually something quite interesting. You see the beginning of an African form of Christianity. Yeah. Um, and um, with that African form of Christianity, the whole idea of having a baptism became mm-hmm. very important. Yeah. So that's something I want to I want to stress also to, to the listeners that, right. that Christianity is not necessarily something that people of African descent encountered in America. Mm. In in some cases it was something they were already familiar with in Africa right. before they came to America. From the, Euro- the European that, connections, right. Exactly. So that's something I think to, to keep in mind. Yes, yes, yes. So um, how about then the, the Pinkster King? Right. So what I what I discovered is that um, um, the slave community on Manhattan mm-hmm. was a slave community that originated in majority 
from that ancient kingdom of Congo in Africa. Okay. Those were actually slaves that were on their way crossing the Atlantic to Brazil. But Dutch ships attacked those Portuguese slavers and they took the slaves with them to Manhattan. Wow. And that's how you had this, this very interesting slave community with mm. Portuguese names on Manhattan, originating from um, the Kingdom of Congo mm -hmm. and bringing with them an identity that was very interesting. An identity that, on the one hand, was, was a Congolese identity, of course. Sure. But at the same time, there was already in that community quite some Portuguese influence. Wow. Uh, for instance, we do know that uh, virtually all members of the Dutch slave community in Manhattan had already been baptized and had wow. been given Portuguese Christian name. Before yeah, so they, they ever arrived. Sebastian, they were called Maria, they were called Manuel. So they had, you know, typically uh, Portuguese Christian names. And this is for me the point of departure to okay. explain from a different perspective what this, what this pinkster king that they celebrated and elected was all about. Okay. Because when you look at the sources, you see very interesting parallels to king election ceremonies all over the Americas. Okay. Because that's something that, that maybe some of the listeners are, are, are not as familiar with, with the fact that if you look at the history of slavery, mm -hmm. not just in, in the United States, but also in, in other parts of the Americas, like Cuba or Brazil, okay. um, you clearly see that there was a tradition that, that slaves would get together and elect a community leader. And they would call that leader their king. Mm. And we also see that um, the way they elected and celebrated and honored their king was um, in relation to slaves who originated from this kingdom of Congo, mm -hmm. that in their case, the way they elected and celebrated and honored their king was actually strongly influenced by Congolese traditions mm. of electing and celebrating your king. Right. So the point I'm trying to make here Right, is that um, the election of this king during the Pinkster Festival mm -hmm. was not just a mockery, was not just you know something to have fun. Mm -hmm. It was actually something very serious. Mm -hmm. It was African Americans getting together and um, um, electing a person they highly respected mm -hmm. and who become their leader. Mm -hmm. yeah? And this leader would then be so to speak, so to so to speak the the, 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 the spokesperson mm. of, of the black community. Wow. Yeah. Um, so a highly respected figure um, and also a figure who placed himself kind of in, in a long tradition, a long tradition whereby you see that, that people of African descent did not forget Africa when they arrived in America. You know, they, they, they kept um, memories, they mm. kept certain traditions. Right. And, and the election of a king was one of one of these one of these traditions that was that was preserved. You know, um, yeah. Go ahead. Now I was going to say it reminds me a lot of like um, Santeria or mm -hmm. you know or voodoo or voodoo when you, when mm -hmm. you talk about the traditional African religions and with that mixture of Catholicism. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, when you were describing that, it made me think about that, too. You know, you, you bring some of your African traditions with you mm-hmm. and it may not mm-hmm. be directly obvious or um, the group in South America and Brazil that they practice their martial arts by hiding it as dance. Yes. 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 There are actually very interesting parallels there. Right. Um, and if you look at at um, at those um, communities, sure. you, you you would be surprised to see how often you find references to kings. Mm. Yeah. Now, but the point, of course, James, and and this is what I think that perhaps the most fascinating element of of my book, mm-hmm. the Pinkster King, King of Congo, is that this this election of a king shows us something. Mm-hmm. It shows us something important. And what, is, what, 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 it, what it shows is that the African-American community, even during the time of slavery, mm-hmm. was a community that would strongly hold together. And they would build what I called in my book mutual aid societies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So societies whereby you help each other. Right. Yeah, you help your brothers. You help your sisters. Yeah? Um, and my point is that those societies, yeah, were societies that were led by a so-called king. Okay. Right. So it's it's all about it's all about solidarity. It's all about mutual aid, and it's all about something very important, which I also discovered in my book, that this pinkster king, this this mutual aid, this this solidarity um, among enslaved Africans, that all of this. Um, also takes us to a very important ritual, namely the ritual of burial. Mm, okay. You know, that a very a, a deep concern that you see uh, within within this, the, the, the the slave community is a concern with a decent mm, funeral. Right. A proper homegoing yeah. ceremony. Right. Very good. Yeah. And that and that this this concern was in a way you could say um, the, one of the key elements that made people hold together as a group. Yes. Still you know, the despite, case. You know, it's still the case, as you're saying, right? Um, and that's, that's also a point I try to make in my book. You know, that, that when we speak today about African Americans, you know, holding on to this, to this very important tradition of, of we stick together, mm-hmm. we help each other, we're brothers, we're sisters. Even, even the, 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 the importance that the word king still has in, in, in the African-American community, when you admire someone, you know, calling that person a king, like a great person, right? That all of that is, is not something, something recent. It's not something new. It's something actually with, with deep roots in, in African-American culture. And the, the mutual aid societies that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's, we have a, a deep tradition of that in the African-American community. You know, your different group, you think about your fraternities and your sororities, Yes. But but also like your different community groups, you know, they're right. they're not as strong now as they were, you know, let's say in the 19th century or the early mm-hmm. 20th century or mm-hmm. like you say, even going back to the 17, yep. you know, hundreds. But, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're still around. You know, you have yep. the male versions and the females, you know, versions. Yep. Um, um, you know, I've, I think about like the uh, I've just kind of slipped my mind. But, you know, there are mm-hmm. certain groups like the Eastern Stars or like uh you know, Masonic groups, um, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, fraternities, mm-hmm. sororities, uh, different, you know, community groups like Moose Lodges and, yes. <laughs> you know, so yes. and, you know, and, and, and so forth. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to 
to look at that and, connection and I, that you mentioned. And and one group, of course, um, James, that we definitely should mention here as well are religious groups. Mm-hmm. Right? When you look at, at evangelical churches, yes, and yes. people build communities and, and hold together, help Community each other. Right, right? right. It's right. a very strong element in African American culture. Right. Mutual aid societies. Yeah, that's a very, mm-hmm. you know, and, that, and that's something for you know those of you who are, are listening out there and. If you want to do some research like uh, Dr. DeWolf did there, maybe in your local communities or whatever, look up some of the mutual aid societies in your mm-hmm. town or, or in your city and maybe try to look at, you know, where they came from, you know, historically speaking. And I'm here again today with the Pinkster King and the King of Congo author. And his name is Yorin DeWolf. He's a professor at the University of California at Berkeley. And we're on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies Channel. I'm your host. And the book today published by University Press of Mississippi that we're talking about, The Pinkster King and the King of Congo. The subtitle is The Forgotten History of of America's Dutch-Owned Slaves. And if you're listening to someone other than me and you hear a different voice that sounds like it may be a little Dutch, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) That is Dr. Jerome or Joron de Wolf, right? And he's a professor of Dutch studies, and he is the leader of the Institute of Berkeley's Institute of European Studies at the University of California at Berkeley. And we're so honored to have him here with us today, t- telling us a little bit about the history of Dutch-owned slaves in New York and New Jersey. And the book is The Pinkster King and the <coughs> King of Congo. And if you don't mind, Joran, maybe could mm-hmm. just just talk to the audience a little bit about, you know, before you kind of get into some more things about your book, Maybe mm-hmm. how you conducted your research, because we have a lot of younger people or people who are budding scholars that may be interested in, you know, what methods that you undertook to conduct your research. And, you know, yeah. maybe how long did it take as well? You know, maybe particularly younger people don't understand the, the, the pace and how long it takes to produce a book like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, now, maybe maybe the, the, the perhaps the most important observation I can make here mm-hmm. um, is what I would like to stress. Yes. is the importance of foreign language skills. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and that's that's something that that unfortunately um, I see that that you know African American, not not just African, but just in general, sure. American uh, scholars um, often tend to forget and limit themselves to sources in English. Okay. You know, and I think that's that's. Um, um, especially when we want to understand the whole complexity, especially when you speak about the African American community and the history of slavery, you know, when when you want to um, really understand what happens, um, you cannot limit yourself to sources in English. You really should make an effort to try to acquire additional language skills. That's a great point, right? Because um, after all, you know, the English language in the history of slavery was a language of minor importance. Mm. And just look at the numbers. You know, the, a country like Brazil, right, Portuguese speaking, sure. um, about 40% of all the slaves went to, went to Brazil. Wow. Right? So when we speak about, about you know, black identity in the Americas, um, it, it becomes very clear that other languages like Portuguese, like, like Spanish, um, French, of course, mm-hmm. uh, but also to, to a minor degree, but, but nevertheless, also the Dutch language mm-hmm. plays, plays an important role. 
right? Um, so that's that's that was definitely for me a major point here. Mm-hmm. That I would look at the history of Pinkster, try to understand what this Pinkster King was all about, mm-hmm. and, but I did make an effort to not limit myself to sources uh, written in English, mm-hmm. but also to look at at sources in other languages, and at the same time. Um, also look at um, documents um, that would speak about um, the, the place of origin okay. uh, of, of, these, of these enslaved Africans. And that took me then to, to Central Africa. Um, and there's a lot of documents to be found uh, still today in, in Portugal, because the Portuguese were the first Europeans to operate along the coast of West Africa, to establish themselves in in Central Africa, um, uh, in what later then will become Angola. So um, part of my research uh, also took place in Portugal, uh, in the archives uh, in Lisbon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also part of my research uh, took place in Brazil. Um, So I also had an opportunity to uh, interact with with colleagues um, at the University of of São Paulo and okay. the University of, of Rio de Janeiro, uh, and to ask them about um, uh, Africans electing kings as their community leaders, right. type of rituals, you know, and and then look for parallels and see, you know, what's what's happening over there and what do we find uh, in the case of Manhattan, um, and all of that convinced me. That what what was happening in Manhattan was not was not unique. It was something that that this whole building of of mutual aid societies, uh, having those mutual aid societies um, um, choosing a leader for those mutual aid societies, calling this leader your king, mm-hmm. uh, is actually a practice that was quite common, not just. Uh, um, in, 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 in New York and New Jersey, but basically something that you will find in Cuba. You will find it in, in, in um, Brazil. Brazil right. You find it pretty much everywhere. Uh, you find it in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find it in many places um, with the history of slavery. Wow. So my, my recommendation then to, to young people sure. you know, who want to learn more and, and who want to... Um, to um, do research, especially when it comes to the history of slavery, to to African-American identity, I would have uh, two recommendations. The first one is uh, try to work on your foreign language skills. Right. And the second recommendation is um, try to put uh, African-American history in a broader um, context by looking not just at what happened here in America, but by looking for parallels with what happened in Cuba, what happened in Brazil, uh, you know, what happened in other places where there were slaves. Across the diaspora, they say. Yes, very good. Yeah, that's a great point, and, you know, it's, it's well taken by me, and I hope, you know, our listeners pick up on that as well, is that, you know, the English connection is just a very small part of our mm-hmm. experience. I mean, there are mm-hmm. African-descended people all over the world, particularly in America, and they speak of a vast, a multitude of, of different languages and mm-hmm. you know you know many of us have dutch connections that we may not even be aware of yes. you know yes. and i mentioned yes. to you earlier that jerome you know is a name that is is rather common you know in mm-hmm. the african-american community and you know and, and there's a bit biblical reference there but i suspect that in some cases that mm-hmm. there's probably a dutch connection that people don't even yeah, realize right. It might well be um and the point of course of course is that you know that there was a time 
Um, we know from data, because what we do, James, is we look at, at um, slaves who, who try to flee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we're mentioned in, in newspapers mm-hmm. by their owners who try to get them back. Okay. And in the newspapers, they would give a description. And in that description, they would often mention the languages ah. that black person could speak. And when you look at those languages, and we made a calculation, we estimate that still by the mid-18th century, about one in five black people living in the states of New York and New Jersey spoke Dutch. Wow. So there's actually a, a very large number of African Americans in this country who have descendants uh, whose first language was, was Dutch. A language that unfortunately then then disappeared, right? Um, but um, this there's definitely a Dutch connection there, and many of the listeners may be familiar with the great uh, Sojourner Truth. Right, right, definitely. Sojourner Truth, whose, whose native language was was Dutch. Um, she all her life um, she obviously spoke English because she wanted to to reach out to to the majority of the population, and, mm-hmm. and that majority. Spoke, spoke English, but we know very well that, that for, for all her life she had a clearly a Dutch accent, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> and many people, and it sounds great, by the way, Jordan, don't, don't worry about that. It sounds awesome, and I'm sure our audience can understand you very well, just like your students can at Cal. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but right, people did, they, they didn't know that about Sojourner Truth, and that was something that, you know, me personally, I learned a long time ago, but I really didn't think about it again, you know, yeah. until you mentioned it. You know, I think it's something that you read and you kind of say, oh, yeah, she spoke Dutch. But but until I actually was speaking to a Dutch scholar, <laughs> yeah. you know, it really didn't stand out to me. Very true. And, and, and what we should know, of course, and what the listeners should, should know as well, is that Sojourner Truth participated in Pinkster celebrations. Wow. We know it from her, from her memoirs. Right. Uh, right. She speaks about it. And she speaks about the importance of, of the black community building those, those mutual aid societies. And when you read her, her, her narrative, when you read her message, it's amazing to see how strong of an impact Mm-hmm. This had on her way to think about America, on her way to, to um, you know, pass on a message of hope mm-hmm. to, to the black community. And how often she, she stresses this point that, you know, we should stick together. Right. You know, we should, we should help each other. And mutual aid is something that makes us stronger as a community. Right. Um, so you clearly see that, that this is not just about not just about a celebration, not just about dance, not just about music. This was important. But what was way more important was, was the feeling of community, of, of you know, building mutual aid among each other. You know, and, and that's something that, you know, even though the, you know, this book focuses on you know, a time period that you know, was well before our current one, you know, before there really mm-hmm. was a United States in some cases. But, you know, people can learn from how those communities formed and those celebrations and the things that they were important then. And, you know, you can apply that to today's world. Yes. You know, I mean, many people are having some struggles and some trying times now. Perhaps they can can look back to, you know, a mm-hmm. Pinkster King Festival of Celebration mm-hmm. or the King of Congo and, you mm-hmm. know, and find that connection and that, and that inspiration, uh, you know, to yep. motivate them to work together yep. and to yep. move forward. Right. 
And it's actually, it's actually interesting to see, James, once you start to look at it, um, you clearly see parallels to today. Sure. And, and let me give you, give you, give you an example. Please do. Um, we do know that, that there's still, it, it still exists in, in certain communities, mm-hmm. um, in, especially in, in poorer neighborhoods, okay. yeah, where people have a tradition of being discriminated of, of, of a tradition of not being able to trust in anyone else besides their own people. Mm-hmm. A tradition whereby people living in, 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 those, in those areas, um, they have forms of mutual aid. They have societies among themselves. Um, and among those, those uh, societies, you see, you, you, you see, for instance, a tradition that goes back a long time way in time, a tradition of people um, paying a little bit of money, mm-hmm. a little bit of what they have, and, and to give that money to the society, and in return, the society provides a decent funeral. It's 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 in a way you know it's 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 you can you can call this perhaps something sad because but but at the same time you you see um, you see the, the importance of the afterlife mm-hmm. right the importance of leaving this world in a decent way and what it meant to those people right and and at the same time the understanding that you're too poor to 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 get that just by yourself right. but if you stick together with others who are as poor as you are, and all of them give, give a tiny little bit of what they have, and they put trust in the, the society, because you know, those things do not work without trust, without right. confidence. Because you know? we're talking about very poor people, right, who give a tiny little bit of money, of, and they hardly have anything, right? but they nevertheless give a little bit of money to that, to that, to that society. Right? That means a lot to these people. That's not something they just do for fun, right? It, it, it has a very deep, uh, very deep meaning. And at the same time, of course, you then realize that the person who's in charge of this society has to be a person whom the group can trust. Mm. Right? It, it, confidence is a key word here. And I think this is also the reason why you have these whole election ceremonies, mm-hmm. right? Um, why, do, why you have this this celebration of, of, of a person who then becomes the king of the society. You know, and I, I think back to my own childhood and, you know, where, mm. I, where I grew up. But, you know, mm-hmm. I think you could probably say it's similar in, in many communities um, mm. around the country. But the, the undertaker or the funeral director mm. uh, is, is, you know, is, you always have one. You know, in the black mm-hmm. community or, you know, mm-hmm. someone around that's a very important position and is a very well respected position in the community. And, yep. you know, I, I really wonder, you know, how about, about the connections there? You know, maybe yes. it's not an elected position, but it's one that's passed down, you know. Yes. You know, you have yes. a father, he teaches a son and so on and so forth. And it's a respected position and everyone kind of goes to that one person. Um, you know, to take care of the, you know, the bodies and, you know, and, and you know, do the, the funeral, the homegoing ceremony and the, the, the wake and, and, and such. And there's often afterwards when the person, you know, is, is buried, you come back to the church and you have all the food and, you know, you have yes. a nice family gathering. And so, it, yes. you know, it makes me think about those connections there. You're in a and lot. those connections are, are very, very important also when it becomes, when, when we speak about 
festive traditions. Sure. Festive traditions, not just, uh, you know, what you mentioned is very mm -hmm. true in the sense that you get together, there's this good food, um, you, 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 um, um, you, you meet the people who are your friends, who are your, and the people you can trust. Um, but when you go back in history, you, you also see clearly a connection between those societies and very famous um, African-American celebrations. Mm -hmm. Many of those celebrations actually have their origin in uh, mutual aid and burial societies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially in the case of, of um, you can clearly, you can still see that today actually, mm -hmm. in the case of Louisiana right. and New Orleans. Uh, many African American traditions actually go back to, to those types of, of mutual aid societies. The jazz uh, funeral, I think it's called, right? Is that right? Exactly. Exactly, the, the famous Mardi Gras Indians. Mm, right, right. For example. Um, so what I'm trying to say here is that my book, The Pinkster King and the King of Congo, is about New York, it's about Manhattan, it's about New, New York, New Jersey, but it's, it's about traditions that you also see in other African-American uh, communities in this country and even in, in the Americas as a whole. And the, the book is The Pinkster King and the King of Congo, The Forgotten History of America's Dutch-Owned slave, Slaves. Joran DeWolf, he's a professor at the University of California at Berkeley, a director of Berkeley's Institute of European Studies, and he is an associate professor of Dutch studies at the school. And his book is published by the University Press of Mississippi. And, you know, I think that if you read this book, it's, it's really going to enlighten you and, and maybe expose you to some aspects of African and African-American history that you may not be aware of. Some of us have Dutch descent and don't even realize it, right? Yeah. You should make that connection. Joran could be our long-lost cousin somewhere along the, <laughs> <laughs> along, along the lines there. You, you know, we never know. Um, Joran, I don't want to take up too much of your time all day. I know you guys out there at Berkeley are very busy <laughs> in terms of uh, grading papers and research and stuff, which brings me to another point. You know, I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, if you don't mind sharing with the audience, maybe some current research or your next project or, or anything you want to share with us that you're working on, if you don't mind. Yeah, and actually, um, I briefly already mentioned it in, okay. my, in my last comment, because um, I, I made that point, right, that, that my book depicts the King and the King of Congo right. is about a celebration that, would, um, that, that was um, a typical celebration for, for the states of, of New York and New Jersey among those slaves um, that were owned uh, by the Dutch community. Mm -hmm. They would honor um, certain traditions that we can um, trace back to the 17th century and to the ancient kingdom of Congo. Um, but the key word here is that those traditions were part of mutual aid society. Okay. And there's a clear connection between um, people getting together, celebrating, electing a community leader with dance, with music, and also um, building community structures right. and fostering mutual aid. Right? That, that connection, I think, is crucial. Now, once, once I finished my book, um, I obviously became interested in, um, in slave communities in other parts of the Americas okay. and in other parts of the United States as well. And 
Um, when you mention mutual aid societies, when you mention uh, African-American um, festive traditions, mm -hmm. then almost inevitably your attention goes to Louisiana, mm -hmm. to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I was very excited to find out that several of New Orleans' most iconic um, um, African-American traditions mm -hmm. Um, with with um, um, the so-called second liners, right. um, with uh, the Mardi Gras Indians, mm -hmm. uh, with with the jazz funerals, mm -hmm. that actually all those traditions developed out of mutual aid and burial societies. Wow. And we also know, um, uh, James, that a very large percentage of the African American community in New Orleans was of Congolese origin. Because huh. you definitely, and I'm sure the listeners also know, Congo Square. Right. The right. famous Congo Square in New Orleans. You're right. Right? That shows this connection to Congo. Uh -huh. So all of a sudden, the, the king of Congo that we speak about in Manhattan also shows up in New Orleans. In New Orleans, wow. And that's actually uh, my... my um, new book project. Okay. Um, and it's um, called um, From uh, the Kingdom of Congo to Congo Square. Ah. From the Kingdom of Congo to Congo Square. And it traces the Kingdom of Congo to New Orleans. Um, it's a new book project. Um, it's, it will be published soon um, by um, uh, the University of, of um, Louisiana Press. Okay. And I'm very much looking forward to that to that new book. And maybe that new book will, will give us an opportunity to talk again and, and see each other for a second time. Absolutely. Maybe. There's no maybe to that. <laughs> that's 100 percent. Yeah, I would love to have you back. So, yeah, we can. Yeah. And we can talk about that some offline. But I'm sure our listeners would love to have you back as, as well, because you've done a great job entertaining us and educating us about your your Dutch cultural heritage and ours as well as uh, African descendants who potentially could have some Dutch connections. And so right. this is, I mean, this, this is great. And, um, you know, again, the, the book is the pinkster King and the King of Congo, the forgotten history of America's Dutch owned slaves, Joran de Wolf or Jerome, if you want to call yes. him <laughs> the American yes. version. Right. He's a professor at the University of California at Berkeley, director of Berkeley's Institute of European Studies and an associate professor of Dutch studies at the school. And his book is the University Press of Mississippi or is the publisher. And I encourage it. It's not, a, you know, an incredibly long book. You know, it's a book that, you know, the average person can get in there and read and, you know, learn about our, our Dutch connections. Um, if you're within the African-American community, particularly if you're in New York or New Jersey and you're listening to me, you definitely right. want to check out this book because the odds are pretty good that if you <laughs> that if you're from that area that that you probably have some some Dutch connection. Mm -hmm. All right. And but James, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed this opportunity to talk with you about absolutely. my book. And yeah. Also explain some some important uh, discoveries yeah. that I made my book to your listeners. And I hope that those listeners who will buy the book, Mr. King and the King of Congo, will, yes. will enjoy reading that book and will feel when they conclude the book that they had learned something new and that they enjoyed discovering also a whole new perspective on, on America's black community. Yes, yes. 
And if, you know, if there's there, there are any folk out there um, from New York, New Jersey area or, or from wherever, and they maybe have descendants or they uh, are descendant from there, would it be okay for any of them that they want to get in contact with you maybe to help them of find course. out? Yeah. Of how course. To research their roots? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think my, um, we will make sure that, that um, once our interview is posted, mm-hmm. that we make sure also to give people an opportunity to get in touch with me through email. Sure. Uh, with, yeah. uh, more than happy to do that. Yeah, we'll have a link to your to your university page up there too, Very everyone. Good. So, Very good. and then so, we have all the information. Yeah, we have all the information there. Absolutely, and you and again, you may find some new Dutch cousins that you didn't even know about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, absolutely. And so we're going to close out here. We're going to let. Yorn, get back to work. Thank you so much, Yorn, for spending some time with us today on the African-American Studies of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. And before we go, the, the book again is The Pinkster King and the King of Congo, The Forgotten History of America's Dutch-Owned Slaves. Definitely give it a read. Give it a listen, you know, you know, audio wise. But it's a great book and it's a wonderful cover. And it's a it's a great thing to add to your collection, even, you know, if you're not from the New York, New Jersey area, but especially if you're of African descent and you're of the New York, New Jersey area, because he's probably be talking about some of your your relatives and ancestors yes. in this book. <laughs> Very true. So Very thank true. you so much, Dr. DeWolf. And if you My don't pleasure. mind, just say goodbye to our audience and we'll see them next time. Right. My pleasure. Well, thank you so much, James, for the opportunity. And I really hope that people who will uh, read the book uh, will have the feeling once they finish the book that they learn something new. I think and, they will. And that's, you know, the best I can hope for. Absolutely. So goodbye. Tell them goodbye, Jorn. <laughs> uh, I, I say goodbye in, in Dutch. Yes. Yeah. Goodbye in Dutch, which is tot ziens. Tot ziens. Oh. Goodbye. Oh, that sounds good to me. I can't say it, so I'll just say goodbye. <laughs> Peace and love, and we'll see you next time on the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. Take care. I'm your host, James Stencil. Peace and love. All right, we're back. This is James Stencil, your host on the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. And the book today, published by the University Press of Mississippi and the author Yorun DeWolf, the book The Pinkster King and the King of Congo, The Forgotten History of America's Dutch-Owned Slaves. So we went very deep today in the connection between the Dutch and the slaves of African descent. So I hope you really enjoyed this interview and hearing from Yorun. He's a great guy and he's really open to, um, you know, if anyone wants to get in contact with him to maybe find out about their own roots or their, their connections, particularly if you're of African descent and you're from the New York or New Jersey area. And he also mentioned to me offline that the Pinkster Festival that we talked about is coming back, uh, is is growing in some uh, Dutch-descended communities. So you may see or hear about that in in your area. So I hope you enjoyed the interview today, and we'll see you next time. This is the African American Studies channel on the New Books Network, and I'm your host, James Stencil. Peace and love.